0: Good morning everybody or good afternoon. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I have my very good friend Pam Vanderbilt with us today. Hey Pam. Good morning. Good morning. We are going to be talking today about the musculoskeletal system but before we do that normally I tell you uh, the the type of day that it is and um, in full disclosure I'm, I'm on site in Charlotte, North Carolina today at a Brilliant conference, the National Society of Healthcare Business Consultants, uh, amazing conference, having a great time. But I have to be honest, I just came back from a retreat with Pam. It was unbelievable, friends. I got to tell you, it was like nothing I have ever experienced in, in all of my years of conferencing and um uh, boot camps and sessions and meetings and annuals, and uh, it was so unique. The conference was, I'm sure you've all seen it on LinkedIn. It was in San Diego, California, hosted by Advanced Coding Services. Um, Beth Schlieper, amazing. Sonal Patel was there, Betty Hovey was there. Um, you know, like I said, Pam and I were there. There were so many other people there, Lady Martinez. It was a fantastic, phenomenal event um, and I only say this to encourage you all to join us in September in New York for another retreat um, or in Prescott, Arizona in October for another retreat because the education, the, the fellowship we had together, the knowledge that we gained was priceless. I don't know how you felt about it, Pam. Oh my gosh, you you hit it completely on the head. It's
1: it's it is not a conference. It is a retreat, and so although we are sharing education, sharing knowledge, getting education and CEUs, it's really an opportunity to build relationships and get to know people and. You know, it's it's not a speaker on a podium style at all. It's very conversational, even during the education sessions. So, you know, people are free to ask their questions. And you know, there were there were several of us there that absolutely have a passion for evaluation and management services. And and in spite of the fact that we dig at those guidelines, we know those guidelines, like the back of our hand, mm-hmm. we were asking questions, and, and hey, how do we handle this, and what do you think about that, and you, it's, it's, the atmosphere is just so different from a conference, because you have the opportunity to do those things, and, and then on top of that, when we're not learning, we're still hanging out together, you know, playing games, getting to know each other on a more personal level, so it's, we're, we're there with friends we're not just there with colleagues and and it just makes it a very different engagement
0: than than anything else
1: absolutely absolutely and the view is fabulous
0: <laughs> and the view is fabulous yes we were right on the pacific ocean it was it was all, still like i'm still riding the high i don't know about you but it was incredible yep. um And it was even nice because even at dinner time, if you had a thought, oh, oh, wait, Pam, you had mentioned something about Modifier 25 and we were able to discuss it over dinner, like because we speak the same language and we think the same way. And it was just a a wonderful experience. So um, I'm going to leave it at that. If you want more information, you need to sign up and meet us in New York City or not in the city. um, We're going to be in the Hudson Valley. Uh, sign up yeah. and meet us in New York in September. It will also be my birthday weekend. So if anybody wants to come hang out for my birthday and education and fellowship, um, I'll see you there. Absolutely. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the musculoskeletal chapter of the ICD-10 guidelines. Um, and and I love this one, I'll be honest with you, because I think we were talking offline a little bit. Chapter 13 really brings us into the musculoskeletal and connective tissue. And, and I have a connective tissue disorder, so it's, it's true to my heart. And um, But it also kind of overlaps a little bit into our chapter 19 um, or, eight, yeah, eight, 19, 18. 19. 19. Um, so I think it's really important that we talk about the differences between the two chapters, um, the, the first thing, though, that comes to mind, and we, I think, we talked about this during the con- the retreat as well, was laterality. Um, it drives me nuts when I see unspecified laterality. Agreed, a hundred percent. That
1: is one of my biggest pet peeves, partially because when we were making the move into ICD-10, I was in charge of the revenue cycle for a large orthopedic practice. And and when I started um, looking at notes to start educating the providers, I realized just how many of our notes did not specify laterality. And I'm like, dudes, I can't read your mind and neither can anybody else. And if you don't know your left from your right, we might have a
0: problem, so. Are you saying, uh, that, like, you had it in your hand, right? Yes, you were exactly. holding the left leg. At what point did you forget that that was? Yeah, yeah. lefty uh, Lucy. Right? <laughs> Here's my thought. My thought process goes back to um when we did the GEMS mapping from ICD-9 to ICD-10. And ICD-9 had all of those unspecified It didn't have the laterality built the way that ICD-10 does. So Doc said, you know, just build me a cheat sheet. I hate that word. A cheat sheet uh-huh. it takes me from my nine codes that I know to the 10 codes. Well, if you have unspecified, the equal would be unspecified. But we've been doing the ICD-10 for eight years now. What's Agreed. the problem? Yeah, well, and
1: I think that the GEMS mapping still comes into play because even with our smart search tools, um, we'll see that if they type in, for example, um, right knee osteoarthritis, it will pull up a description that says right knee, but the code that's associated with it is still the unspecified laterality Mm -hmm. code. And, yeah. and so a part of that is not using the, the smart search tools correctly, because there is a hyperlink on those that you click on, and then you get get to the more specified code, right? right. But they stop at the description. And to the provider's uh, defense on this, they see the description says, right. They are not coders, so they don't necessarily equate that the code is not correct for the right name. And so, you know, there's something in the background that we have to do to fix that. My opinion is we take all the gems mapping out of it and, and we start actually living in the ICD-10 world before we get to ICD-11, so.
0: I could agree with you more. Very well said, very well said. And um, I, I struggle with that. I also think one of the other culprits is for maybe some of the smaller practices that they're still using in counterforms and look there's only so much you can squeeze on one piece of paper so everything ends up being that unspecified um yes so in this day and age with electronic medical records and in the practice management softwares that are interfaced and integrated why do we still need those silly super bills
1: yes Uh, i agree i agree one of the first things I recommend to uh, new practices when I come in is if they're using encounter forms is stop wasting the paper. You're, crea- you're you're killing trees and you're creating additional work, which means ex- additional expenses because somebody's got to take it off the paper and get it entered into the system.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And you tie people's hands sometimes because going into the electronic medical record, we really get to see that laterality reported. We really get to see, you know, maybe there's more going on that you documented that it expands beyond the little box that you have that limitation on the super bill.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, so well and I
0: I love the
1: go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I I love chapter 13. And as we were talking about offline, you know, when we start talking musculoskeletal, we think orthopedics. And and so orthopedics is not just tied to chapter 13. There are other chapters in ICD-10 that we we deal with a lot, um, including uh, the the neuro chapters. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're looking at Your job responsibilities, remember that you may need to be looking at more than one part of the guidelines in ICD 10 to make sure that you are covered because your disease processes may not all live in one chapter. And definitely that's true for orthopedics.
0: Think about pain pain goes directly to the neuro chapter where we have specific guidance on how to report if someone's coming in for pain management. Usually related to something in the musculoskeletal system. So, something in your back or something in your shoulder, hip, elbow, knee, right? Um, that, those are the usual culprits as I start to get older and uh, get a daily reminder every day. That <laughs> the musculoskeletal system is like, come on, lady, give us a break. <laughs> exactly. Now, we also talked a little bit about the difference between the traumatic fracture and the pathological fracture. And for new coders out there, I can see how it could be confusing and not clear when we're, we're selecting a code based on a pathological fracture or traumatic fracture. What has been your experience with that, Pam? Well, I,
1: it is very confusing, particularly because um, a lot of times our providers don't distinguish between the two. In their head, a fracture is a fracture and they don't really care. Um, but we do have differences. If a a fracture happens as a result of an acute traumatic injury, we're gonna be in the oh shoot chapter and our codes exactly. are gonna start with an S, right? right. Um, but if we've got underlying disease processes in place that the bone is not normal, healthy bone, and therefore that patient may have had a fall, or maybe the disease process is so significant that it doesn't even take a fall. They just, as we always do, bump into something, and I look at it and you go, know, Where'd I get that bruise? Yeah. That's That would actually break their bone. And so those belong in our M chapter, even though it's a fracture, it is not an acute traumatic fracture that belongs in the O shoot. It is because of the underlying disease process. Um, And we have multiple types of pathologic fractures. We have a whole section of code specifically titled pathologic fractures. So we would be in like the Um, M 84s, but we also have a big one out there and that's osteoporosis. Yeah. And so if the, the fracture is in a patient who has osteoporosis, we're going to code that fracture regardless of how it happened with the, the codes for the osteoporotic fractures.
0: Well, you know, osteoporosis, um, if you really think about it logically, it's the, the bones becoming more ostified. And that means it's starting to look more like a sponge. And you've, you've seen in a sponge, right? Some of the holes in the sponge are very small, but some of the holes in a sponge are very big. And imagine that if all of the holes that are within the bone that create that bone structure, they become larger, more brittle, then the strength or the integrity of that bone inside is more brittle, like, again, like a sponge bubble. And mm-hmm. it's very simple, like bumping into something could fracture those little, um, the little bubbles there, pop the bubbles per se. And let me tell you, anything bone related is extremely painful. So even though the bone has ossified into some larger bubbles per se, um, the pain from breaking that is no different than any other bone pain that someone might have. So now if you think about that, right? you've got the sponge um, within the bone, the, it breaks inside, and it doesn't take a whole lot to make that happen. Where a healthy person whose bones are not ostified or not spongy like that, um, they 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 have that structure there. They've got the strength in the bone and it really takes something massive to break it. So I think once you start to visualize what pathological is versus traumatic, it makes more sense to me at least. Absolutely.
1: And, and I think that, you know, we also have to pay attention to other triggers that we might see when we're looking at documentation um, that may give us a clue. For example, does the patient have cancer? Are they being treated for cancer? And, and if they are, and they, they have a fracture and we don't see a, correlation in the documentation, we may have to go back and query. Is this a pathologic fracture in neoplastic disease or is this an O oh shoot fracture that,
0: that healthy bone would have broken if we did this? Um, I had a friend of mine who had cancer of the bone um, and it didn't take very much at all for him to have fractures. So uh, a tripping over a stump Caused a yep. fracture where normally that would have never happened, but um, the cancer was basically disintegrating the bones or eating the bones and making them so brittle and so so um, susceptible to even the minorest of injuries. And again, that has nothing to do with that healthy, strong bone that really needs something massive, a, a, an accident, in order to make it break. Right. So you have a good way of looking at it, whether it's um, a normal musculoskeletal pathological disease, like an osteoporosis, or as it, maybe it is a cancer related, that's either way you look at it, it's a, it's a a compromise of the bone that causes that bone to, to fracture so easily versus, you know, a big accident out there, like accidentally driving a jet ski into a, anyway, we won't talk about that. Yeah. Um,
1: Right. <laughs> doing that that's an O oh shoot code we will use okay. our s code
0: <laughs> i love that correlation O oh shoot and the s codes yep so you know talking about that
1: relationship between acute traumatic versus pathologic fractures um we also see in orthopedics um conditions other conditions besides fractures that that similar thought process applies to Um, we did a lot of sports medicine in the practice that i was in and these athletes would get a rotator cuff tear or you know the football players were always doing something to their knees and if we have that traumatic injury that we have repaired and then it recurs it happens again part of the reason it happens again is because that is no longer a healthy normal structure it has been degraded and weakened by the the original oh shoot injury and so we have guidelines that tell us even if it happened acutely for example they're in the middle of a football game or a baseball game right Mm -hmm. that there is disease process now and that recurrent injury no longer gets coded in our, oh shoot chapter. It gets coded in our M chapter because yeah. we're not dealing with healthy anatomy
0: at that point. Well, this is com- sort of off topic, but um, my husband had a knee replacement a few years ago because he had worn out the meniscus between his knee and was bone on bone and it was from years of kickstarting his motorcycle so he was a dirt bike rider from the time he was the time he could pick up the dirt bike to get <laughs> right and and their bikes were all kickstart now they have electric starts how rude but they were all kick starts, and he was an avid rider so by the time he hit 50 He had no meniscus left. There was nothing there. It had all been worn down. He'd had multiple um, arthroscopic surgeries to either cut out some meniscus or repair some meniscus. And then, you know, at some point it was like, it's all gone. And it became more musculoskeletal where initially, like you said, maybe in his 20s, it was a traumatic tear of the meniscus. Now in his 50s, there is no meniscus because- it's worn out it's gone and it's more it it was definitely from a pathological reason at this point to have that done so it could be many different things or it could be over the course of a long period of time that that degeneration happens or that breakdown happens and because it causes a more of a pathological injury so as we start looking at our older population coming in you know that history component even that social history component is really important. Were you a football player? Were you a basketball player? Were you an athlete? Were you a a rodeo bull rider that had multiple fractures? And um, all of that really becomes more pertinent as we get older. Exactly, and
1: something else to keep in mind is when we're in those situations, so maybe we had that fracture as a youth that would have been coded in the O-shoot chapter and now we've got pathologic disease as a result of it right mm-hmm. when we're billing that pathologic disease we should also be coding our original O-shoot injury with the seventh character of S as a secondary diagnosis code because that shows that this is an after effect a late effect of that original injury. And that is what our sequela
0: codes are intended to be used for. It tells it paints the picture, as our friend Sonal says. Yes. Right? Exactly. I, I couldn't have explained it better myself. When, when we get to chapter 19, I always have a fun time describing those encounter codes, but it's so true that sequela codes are used to report a new problem that's related to an old problem or developed from an old problem. So it it paints that picture of how we got here today. And and I'll tell you, from from a doctor's perspective, sometimes just that knowledge minimizes the amount of diagnostic investigation that a doctor needs to do to get to the root of your problem. So it was easy for my husband's doctor to understand why the meniscus was non-existent because of the history, but had he not given that history, there would have been multiple MRIs or multiple um, scopes to go in and take a look at, rather than relying on that history that was so important and it related to the current injury.
1: Absolutely, which takes us back to our EM, Just because we don't bean count history anymore, it is absolutely the Opening paragraphs of the story we're telling about the problem. Yeah. And it is incredibly important that we still capture that information so that we know the beginning of the
0: story. Was it, you know, I think that's that is so super important because I know providers and especially orthopedic doctors, low back pain. Well, is it a sharp pain that just came on or is it a dull pain that has gotten worse over the course of a year? well the 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 diagnostics are so different based on just that reporting the the etiology of the present condition that information is it routes the way the rest of the visit it routes the ENM visit something sharp is very acute you need to do something about it now cuz i'm not walking out of this office feeling like this where something dull or something that's been growing yeah, yeah, I know I'm going to have to do maybe ibuprofen or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. I'm not going to get that resolution maybe today in the office. That, so very, very different. Absolutely, it is. It is.
1: So, you I'm know, when be- we talk about the orthopedic chapter, we, we touched on earlier laterality and how dare you not know if it was the left or the right. Um, But we actually have guidelines about how to report our services when there is a code for bilateral. Mm -hmm. And it's in the chapter specific. It's actually in our general coding instructions um, under number 13. And it tells us if the problem exists bilaterally and we have a bilateral code we report that bilateral code, even if our treatment today is only on one side. We don't stop and use a unilateral code until we have corrected the problem on one side, and then it only exists unilaterally. Right, right. I see a lot of times, I'll get uh, right knee and left knee osteoarthritis, and I'm like, um, wait a minute, we have a bilateral code for that. Right. But I'll maybe there the supplementation on the left knee today. Don't report the unilateral code, but I can see problem problemless that the patient has a bilateral OA. And so we need to be aware of that so we mm-hmm. can share the writers and coders and auditors that we do have instructions and, and orthopedics is definitely one of those where we see bilateral codes. Um, that we have instructions that we will always report bilateral until it doesn't exist bilaterally anymore.
0: Agreed. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's one of those other little golden nuggets within the guidelines that answers that question and provides us with correct coding. Um, yes. the, the, I think we <laughs> the, the last thing we can segue into is that beautiful um, general guideline number 14, where it says, if you get that unspecified laterality, that as a coder, and, and when I saw this, I, I completely just had a little like happy dance. Um, it <laughs> says that a coder can look within the medical record at another clinician who has documented the laterality and use that to find the to assign the most specific code for that. Uh, injury or, or that, that pathological situation. Um, and it gives us a little bit of power as coders, you know, to absolutely. make decision and use that either bilateral or unilateral specific code.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and so that, that ability to use other providers documentation or look back, uh, for example, patients sometimes coming in, um, Post-operatively, when we do total joints, we do total joints and then we follow up annually to make sure that that joint is still stable, correct? Um, And so if they're coming in for a one-year follow-up or two-year follow-up, we might only see in the documentation that they're following up for a total joint replacement. But we can go back and look at which joint did we replace and get the most specified
0: laterality code for it. Right. It it empowers the coder in allowing Absolutely. us to assume, which is something that we've been drilled into, we are not allowed to assume we're not clinical, but remember that laterality doesn't change the clinical diagnosis. Right. Right. So osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, pathological fractures, traumatic even traumatic fractures, they don't we don't change that diagnosis by adding the laterality to it. So as it is something that is allowed or accepted by a coder to make that specification of left or right or bilateral because it doesn't change the diagnosis itself. It only makes it specific.
1: Absolutely. And, and I know every ICD-10 book is a little bit different. The one that we use um, has little tips in it. And there's actually a place that it has a little tip that if we can't find the laterality within the medical record query the provider, yes. and I like that we're seeing that language hit our ICD-10 books. It's okay to have that conversation. It's important that we're having those conversations with our providers because, first of all, if we keep querying them, they're going to finally figure out why are you bugging me so much, and that opens that opportunity that we can educate them, therefore we don't have to ask the questions anymore. So but if, if you do real. this, then I don't have
0: to do this. <laughs> and I say it all the time. And, and I tell providers, listen, when when you're doing, um, when we're doing education, when we're doing monitoring and auditing for our compliance programs, you know, in the beginning, if you've never had this done in your practice before, there's going to be a lot of back and forth. You're going to have your coders, your billers coming back to you, Um and, and even annually, as things change, you should expect your coders and billers to be coming back to you with the query, because that query is telling you that maybe guidance has changed or you're missing something that um, supports. They're really working for you and with you to make sure that you've maximized all that you possibly can document, not just from a reimbursement perspective, but maybe from a legal perspective or even a continuity of care. I'm sure that if you refer a patient out to have a knee replacement that the orthopedic doctor would appreciate knowing which knee it is that, that you're asking, you know, information on to get replaced. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: We, yeah, um, it, it's, it's always helpful. And sometimes it's amazing how little we see documented in the notes and went to that continuity of care. Mm-hmm. You know, primary care is referring a patient to any specialist and they've got sketchy documentation, the specialist is not gonna know why the patient's being referred. But unfortunately, the patient may not know either because the documentation's so sketchy, the patient can't even determine what they're being referred for.
0: Exactly, exactly. We need to remember that. We really need to remember that and, and, uh, and make sure that we are doing the best that we can for our patients, and then as coders, we're doing the best that we can for our providers. Absolutely. Can you believe our time is up, Pam? Oh my gosh, already? Yes, I can't believe oh, wow. that. Yes. <laughs> um, I want to remind everyone again um, that we have the retreat coming up in September. Um, it's Advanced Coding Services, Beth Schlieper. If you can, the information will be all over the place. You'll be able to see it on LinkedIn and on Facebook. And I really, really encourage you if there's one education. And let me tell you, this, the conference is in September. So I know that we'll be talking about a lot of change. We will be talking about the proposal that comes out. We'll be talking about ICD-10 guidelines that come out. Um, so if you really have maybe one education to focus on in the future, I would think about the retreat. It's a unique way of receiving information. It's a relaxed environment. Um, You can't beat the price for the retreat and and the networking, the fellowship that that we have together is just outstanding. So keep your eyes open. and, And in the meantime, if you have any billing coding needs, please make sure you reach out to my good friend, Pan Vanderbilt there and she can help you. She has a consulting firm and a billing company and she can take care of all of your needs there. So her information's passing across the bottom there. Make sure you reach out to her. If you're not connected on LinkedIn, make sure you're connected. You connect with Pam on LinkedIn. Absolutely yeah. important. Pam, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you, Christine. Enjoy the rest of your conference there. I will. See everybody thanks. soon. All right. See you soon. Thanks so much.